Welcome to the Association of Schools Advancing Health Professions, a leading source for interprofessional collaboration to improve health. Useful insights about publishing in this organization's Journal of Allied Health can be found in a top podcast series featuring episodes narrated by its editor, Dr. Thomas Elwood. Listeners not only will obtain valuable information about transformational developments in the wider world of journal publications, but also views on peer review and reasons why manuscripts either are accepted or rejected. So listen, learn, and enjoy. Welcome to a series of podcasts based on editorials that were published between 2008 and 2020 in the Journal of Allied Health. These items are a companion piece to a book in both print and ebook formats that is entitled From Fish to Philosopher. The editorials represent an effort to convey how the journal continues to evolve from one quarterly issue to the next by reflecting changing sets of circumstances during that time period. The intended audience consists of prospective authors who consider submitting manuscripts to the Journal of Allied Health. They will have an opportunity to learn about some inner workings of this publication. A second group comprises readers and listeners with a broad interest in the universe of professional periodicals who may benefit by learning more about various topics such as open access, impact factors, gender-related issues, predatory journals, and replicability. Episode 2, Winter 2008 Issue, Musings by a New Editor. This item marks my first effort to provide text for the editorial portion of the Journal of Allied Health. For the past 10 years, that particular duty was the responsibility of former editor Kevin Lyons of Thomas Jefferson University. As with everything else he did regarding this publication during that period, his comments represented an excellent piece of work. In many periodicals, editors use their allotted space to describe the manuscripts that appear in that issue. I originally considered adhering to this tradition, but decided that since this is my first venture into such a realm of writing, I would try something different. The focus of this editorial will be on the production of written materials and the readers who consume them. Publications. The world of publishing has changed dramatically in recent years. As library shelves filled up around the nation, they had to be an alternative to constructing new buildings to accommodate the ongoing growth in printed materials. Relief originally came in the form of microfiche, yet readers still had to visit libraries to access the information that they wanted and needed. Then along came the internet, and what followed was a veritable explosion of journals that began to produce online versions. More recently, some publications are created solely in electronic format, such as that produced by the Public Library of Science. As noted by Kai Simons, president of the European Life Science Organization, in the October 10, 2008 issue of Science, Research papers are published in thousands of journals all over the world. A measure often used to determine the quality of a manuscript is the impact factor of the journal in which it was published. This metric is meant to rank scientific journals, but it has engendered much criticism. Without going into the details of impact factors, it is worth pondering how the Journal of Allied Health will fare 
when officials at academic libraries decide to discontinue their subscriptions to various publications. Harvard University, perhaps the world's wealthiest institution as measured by the huge amount of its endowment fund alone, has applied a large hatchet to subscriptions considered bottom feeders from associations. How will decisions be made at other institutions when it becomes necessary to cull their publications flock? Even more importantly, how valuable and essential will our journal be viewed whenever these cuts must occur? ASAHP joined the world of web publishing in spring 2001. Since that year, the journal has appeared electronically through Ingenta, a company that hosts more than 10,000 full-text e-publications. As a result, the association's periodical is enhanced because more than 20,000 institutions such as libraries and more than 25 million end users have access to it. Each year, thousands of browsers around the globe go online to inspect journal abstracts, and many subsequently pay a fee to download articles. As a means of generating wider visibility of this publication, beginning with the spring 2007 issue, one article has made been made available online at no charge. In addition, as a way of acknowledging the spread of globalization, articles from other countries have become regular features in recent issues. From October 2007 to September 2008, for example, the journal attracted 71 manuscripts, with 22 of them coming from outside the U.S. Readers. Reading can be easily viewed as a skill that not only has been in existence for a long time, but also is richly esteemed. Yet, although reading is characterized by longevity, it not always has been looked upon favorably. In her highly informative book, Prost and the Squid, the story and science of the reading brain, Marianne Wolfe describes how Socrates was opposed to acquiring this ability. A self-described stinging gadfly on the back of the noble but sluggish horse that was Greece, he was keenly aware of the great risks posed by making a transition from an oral culture to a literate one. Socrates taught students to question words and concepts conveyed through spoken language, so that they could see what beliefs and assumptions lay beneath them. He demanded that everything be questioned until the essence of the originating thought became clear. He posited that oral and written words play different roles in an individual's intellectual life. He regarded the new and much less stringent requirements that written language placed both on memory and on the internalization of knowledge as catastrophic. He also passionately advocated the unique role that language plays in the development of morality and virtue in a society. In each instance, he judged written words inferior to spoken words. Socrates believed that unlike the dead discourse of written speech, oral words, or living speech, represented dynamic entities full of meanings, sounds, melody, stress, intonation, and rhythms that are ready to be uncovered layer by layer through examination and dialogue. By contrast, written words could not speak back in return. This inflexible muteness of non-spoken text doomed the dialogic process that he saw as existing at the heart of education. The other side of the picture is that a reader cannot talk back to an article in a journal. 
It is instructive to read the comments by reviewers of papers submitted to the Journal of Allied Health. Typical examples are, what do you mean in this sentence? Based on the data presented, the conclusions that you drew are not warranted. Why did you not refer to seminal papers on this topic? Those reactions typify what is on the minds of three reviewers who seek to understand the nature of the text at hand. Isn't it likely, however, that the many readers who eventually peruse the article will have questions of their own? Currently, the most that can be achieved in the way of dialogue is for a reader to send a letter to the editor, with the hope that it and the author's response will appear in the next issue of the publication. Will readers continue to be readers as we have come to know them? Newer forms of technology are having dramatic effects on the ways in which communication is occurring. Text messaging provides a fine example. Because of limits on the number of words that can be typed into a message on a cell phone, new language patterns have developed. Words become condensed batches of letters. In addition, shorthand language, such as TBD, for to be determined, has been expanded significantly to create a whole new set of abridged writing, some of which only can be deciphered by the young. Much of what is written often violates principles of spelling and grammar. The disastrous effects can be seen when these same individuals have to produce something in a more conventional form, such as in answers to exam questions, submission of a term paper, and even manuscripts submitted for publication in academic journals. Apart from inaccuracies in communications, an even greater concern is that practices such as surfing the web may lead to remapping neural circuitry and reprogramming memory, concerns expressed by Nicholas Carr in an article in the July-August 2008 issue of Atlantic entitled, Is Google Making Us Stupid? He indicates that the internet seems to be chipping away his capacity for concentration and contemplation. The greater the use of the web, the more difficult it is to stay focused on longer pieces of writing. His opinions are buttressed by researchers who suggest that we may well be in the midst of a sea change in the way we read and think. It is possible today to learn an unlimited number of things by using web search engines. Inevitably, the information accessed also contains links to related sources. In rapid succession, it is possible to skip from one thing to another, often without any assurance that what is being consumed is accurate and reliable. In April 2008, at a conference in Nijmegen, the Netherlands, a keynote presenter marveled at the capacity of youngsters to be able simultaneously to talk on the telephone, send text messages, listen to music, watch TV, and do their homework. As an adjunct professor at an ASAHP member institution for the past five years, I regret to write that I do not share this scholar's sense of wonderment and delight. Since what I teach is an online course, I have an opportunity to observe a language that appears to be falling into a state of ruination. Despite a spell check function on computers, misspellings are all too common in what I read. In addition, what at first glance appears to be a sentence often fails to make the grammatical grade. Reasoning ability seems impaired, as one sentence follows another in chaotic fashion with no coherent linkage between successive thoughts. Paragraphs bear no relationship to their immediate predecessors. 
An effort to wade through material of this nature would seem to be the equivalent of suffering the ill effects of a violation of the Eighth Amendment to the Constitution, a part of the U.S. Bill of Rights, which prohibits the federal government from imposing cruel and unusual punishments. If only the government could be blamed for inducing such pain, then a remedy might be at hand. Instead, complicity occurs on a much wider scale, and something worse could be lurking and waiting to make its appearance in the form of a steady assault on the integrity of the English language. So, dear reader, with these apocalyptic thoughts in mind, I offer you the following sentiment. In the weeks and months ahead, your new editor and his hardy band of dedicated reviewers will strive to make the Journal of Allied Health the best that it possibly can be. Only the finest manuscripts will be accepted for publication. A major goal is to ensure that they are well-written, contain the kinds of information necessary to advance the theoretical and practical underpinnings of the allied health professions. Thank you for joining us. You can learn more about the Association of Schools Advancing Health Professions at ASAHP.org.